The following episode contains elements that may be disturbing to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What up, Pro Silly listeners? Welcome back to the Professionally Silly Podcast. It's your Adobabu Fang Amber Smiles Jones, and this is a podcast where we discuss true crime stories, the paranormal, and the most random topics that I find online. And the internet is vast, so we have fun here, <laughs> and tons of it. This week, uh, this past week on my Professionally Silly YouTube channel, I posted uh, a video this about this like amazing wine brand that's called 19 Crimes. Now, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it, but it is amazeballs and loves it. Not only is the wine delicious, but the stories behind each bottle Oh, they're, they're intriguing as fuck. I love it. Each bottle of wine comes with a story. And if you download the app, it's like, I think it's called like Living Wine Label or something like that. And it's an AR app that literally makes your bottle of wine come to life. It is insane. This is not a, a paid sponsorship at all. This is, I'm just telling you what I was talking about in my YouTube video. <laughs> 19 Crimes has no idea that I'm alive. So, but according to the website, 19crimes.com, 19 crimes turned convicts into colonists. Now, upon conviction, British rogues that were guilty of at least one of the 19 crimes were sentenced to live in Australia. Now, that would, they would do this instead of sentencing people to death. They called this punishment transportation. Now, they started doing this in 1787, and many of the convicts uh, died at sea. Those that were lucky enough to make the rough travel had a whole new world waiting for them. Now, they were pioneers in a frontier penal colony. Now, they forged a new country and new lives brick by brick. The 19 Crimes wine brand celebrates the rules they broke and the culture that they built. Australia was born, right? Ah, man, I should be like one of those people do like voiceover work they should really look into hiring me for things like that (laughs) and I'll be the first to tell you that I don't really know a lot about Australian history but this wine brand I tell you what definitely caught my interest in it plus if you download the app your bottle literally literally it comes to life like I said and it happens before you get drunk it's fantastic (laughs) it was a fun video so make sure you check out the video because there's nothing like wine on a Sunday. That's the name of it. Um, (laughs) Click the thumbs up button. Subscribe to the Professionally Silly channel for more visual fun with your audible boo thing. special guest join us my buddy EJ and we discussed hilarious pranks it was a lot of fun I shared a story about a principal who pranked all uh, all of the students in his elementary school that was lovely we talked about a kidnapping prank gone wrong and lots more so if you missed last week's episode don't freak out it's gonna be okay you can listen to that one after this it's, it's totally fine <laughs> this week I, uh, I thought that I would, uh, it would be a great time for murder. So this podcast episode is going to be a true crime episode. And let me tell you right now, listeners, discretion is hella advised, like I said earlier. Meaning, um, if you're a parent listening to this with your kid, it's up to you whether or not you want them to hear, um, what, what's going to be discussed in this episode. Murder is involved, so full warning to everyone. I feel like I did my part there. Also, uh, you're going to hear a lot of uh, jokes and silliness and whatnot up in here. That's what we do on the Professionally Silly Podcast. It does not mean, you know, that I find murder funny because it's not. Sucks. Just want to make that clear. So, all right. So before we get started with all the murder, um, let me knock this out real quick. I've got some information that I want to share with my new listeners and to remind uh, remind some of my older listeners uh, some stuff here. Uh, I would like you to know that you, my favorite listener, can be a part of this podcast. Yes, you can. If you have a story to share, an embarrassing moment, maybe you have a paranormal uh, experience, a prank that you pulled on someone, what have you, email them to me. Email me your stories to it's professionally silly 
at gmail.com because I, uh, I, I want to hear your stories. I want to hear your stories. It will be awesome to eventually have listener stories, like a full episode of just, of just you're awesome. Mm, doesn't that sound dope? It does. Also, I would love it if you guys gave me a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. I know it doesn't sound like much, but the more good reviews that I receive, the better chance I have to reach new listeners. And as a solo podcaster, pro listeners, trust me, I need your help. Okay, so check out this podcast, Twitter and Instagram page. They're both called at It's Pro Silly. I-T-S-P-R-O and then the word silly. And uh, for now on, the Instagram page should have photos or videos pertaining to the episodes that I record. So uh, take a look at take a look at those as you're listening along. You know, a lot of fun. Please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter to, to discuss any of my older episodes because they may be older to me, but they're new to you. All right. So now that we got that out of the way, it's time to talk about this uh, serial killing asshole. You ready? All right, let's get started. We're going to take a trip back in time to the 1980s. And let's be honest, the 80s had a hell of a lot of crime. And of course, technology and forensics was not what it is today, meaning a lot of crimes did go unsolved. But this was also the time that the fields of forensics and technologies were experiencing a growth spurt. But in the 80s and the 70s, a lot of criminals enjoyed fucking with police, thinking that they, they, they would get away with the things that they've done. Now, I'm sure many of you remember the Zodiac Killer. And honestly, I, I think if you've been alive any time in the past 60 years, you've heard of the Zodiac Killer, you know. That guy, he sent letters to the newspaper and the police. Uh, He sent cryptic puzzles and messages and and all kinds of shit to fuck with them. And till this day, the Zodiac Killer still has not been identified. But the case that we are going to discuss, it's nothing like the infamous Zodiac Killer case. This case involves a serial killer with the voice of a bitch. Mm, Yes, you heard correctly. And when I say that, I'm not talking about a female dog or, or... what assholes call women when they won't sleep with them. I'm talking about the kind of bitch you call a man when you want him to know that he's less than. You a bitch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And let me be clear. Okay, I'm, I'm not... I do not advocate murder. Even though you, you're going to hear me joke around during this episode, I also have zero respect for this asshole and anyone like him. Okay? That's just how I feel about this shit. So there are many times... That I will simply refer to him as that bitch baby or that baby bitch. So <laughs> that's how that's what I think about him. No respect at all. I, I really do try to make my true crime episodes as interesting as I can to listen to. So if I'm doing my job right now, uh, every now and then you will smile or laugh at something I've said in my true crime episodes. It's like, damn, she just said this. Nigga just decapitated somebody, but she did tell a really good corny joke afterward. That, that's pretty much how it rolls. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I will and always will have respect for the victims of these crimes, and I will never treat these murders, these murders, these, these murderers, excuse me, these rapists or these serial killers as though they are celebrities because they're not. They are all pieces of human waste and all their fathers should have pulled out immediately. Unfortunately, the earth is full of walking cum stains, and we're about to discuss one of them. And he's known as the Weeby Voiced Killer. As you just heard, that bitch baby Paul Michael Stefani would contact police confessing and committing to three murders in the 1980s. Now, he would never tell the police who he was. 
He always called anonymously with a super creepy, high-pitched crying voice, hence the term that bitch baby. <laughs> so let's discuss a little bit about Minneapolis. It's, Minneapolis is the largest and most populated city in the state of Minnesota. It is the 46th largest city in the United States, and it's also one of the twin cities that makes up the well-known twin cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul. Now, these two amazing cities are separated by the Mississippi River. And here's a fun fact that does not include murder. Minneapolis has the fourth largest percentage of LGBT people in the country. But when you think Midwest, you, you don't always, you don't know what you wouldn't expect that. But yeah. <laughs> and when you think Midwest, you don't, you also would think, you know, all four seasons, they do experience that. They get snow and all that good stuff. You think of memorable family moments and amazing small towns, you know, maybe corn, maybe cheese. <laughs> and I won't lie, sometimes racism, a little bit of racism, but you know, that shit's everywhere. So there's really no escaping it. <laughs> but when others think of the Midwest, they certainly don't think serial killer right away. That's not your first thought when you think Midwest. And personally, when I think serial killer, I think California. I mean, there's been so many serial killers in the California area. It's ridiculous. <laughs> we've got, we've got great, uh, great weather, legal marijuana and serial killers. So book your flight to California this holiday season. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe not, maybe not. So New Year's Eve in 1980 was the beginning of a series of attacks and murders that rocked the Twin Cities area. Now, these events changed how everyone lived in the area. At one time, they were, there were a lot of many places in the world where people didn't even lock their doors, you know, because they felt safe where they lived. But as we know, uh, times have changed. And I know for a fact, there is no way in hell I'm leaving my door unlocked, whether I'm home or not. No, ma'am, especially living in Los Angeles. No way in hell. Well, I'll tell you what, let's go, let's go even further back in time to September 8th, 1944 in Austin, Minnesota. Now, this was the day that Paul Michael Stefani was born, which would make him a Virgo. But honestly, I don't really know a lot about signs. Is that a good one? I'm assuming in this instance, m maybe not. I don't know. Now, the reason I want to go back in time is I wonder if his upbringing had anything to do with the choices that he made. Now, it's said that our childhood does have something to do with the molding, you know, the people that we that we become. Not that not that anything that he or any other murderer or serial killer is excused because of their shitty childhood. Now, that's just me saying that. Now, a lot of people have shitty childhoods and you wouldn't believe, you know, but uh, not all of them become serial killers or kill people. So I find it super annoying when these assholes use their childhood as an excuse to do the horrible shit that they do. But that's me personally. Let's move on, shall we? So when Paul was a kid, when he was a child, his parents took him to church every Sunday. Their family practiced uh, Catholicism. I, I only said that word because it made me sound a little smarter. They, they were a Catholic family, all right? <laughs> I was also raised uh, Catholic as well. And um, one thing that we do in our religion, and I'm only saying this because I was raised it, but I'm not very religious, honestly. But one thing that we do in our religion is we make confessions and that is supposed to absolve us of our sins. And it's, it's pretty much a do-over card. When you think about it, the, the act of confession gives you the opportunity to unburden your, your soul at the time, at the same time, uh, freeing you up to, to, to sin some more. So that's, I don't know, <laughs> maybe that's just an oversimplification of it. Once again, not very religious. Uh, so Paul was one of 10 children raised on a uh, huge, huge acres of land near Austin, Minnesota, and his parents divorced at a young age, which, you know, can be difficult for a child. Although I gotta say, I don't think divorce is a good reason to become a serial killer in your adult years either. That's, I'm throwing that out there. Okay. <laughs> so when Paul was three years old, his mom got remarried and his new stepdaddy was super religious, just like his mom. And I, I can't imagine that it was easy being raised by super religious parents. You know what I mean? Um, 
kids will be kids and children tend to make a lot of mistakes. You know what I'm saying? So their world is surrounded with curiosity, which could be the reason why, uh, why they get into so much trouble as children, why everybody gets into so much trouble as children. You just want to, you're curious. You want to try stuff. Ah, uh, let me, let me pet this stray dog that happens to be a coyote. You know what I mean? You, you make mistakes. Don't, don't do those things. <laughs> but, uh, Paul, Paul was raised in one of those religious families that only looked happy and well put together from the outside. And as, as religious as Paul's stepfather was, he wasn't a very, he wasn't a very nice man and he wasn't very nice to the children. He was an abusive man and often hit the children and even threw them down the stairs. Now, if, if, if they were to anger him, there was no, there was no saying what he would do. It was usually a violent reaction. And there's a good chance that the, that the children who, who experiences the abuse, you know, um, probably played a part in the choices that they made as they got older. Uh, speaking for Paul, I'm assuming that he took the world in as an adult, remembering all the shit that happened to him as a kid, but I'm not a psychologist or a brain doctor of any sorts. It's, it's, <laughs> it's stuff the brain people share on the internet. I read that and I'm, I'm repeating things that I remember hearing or, or reading. So whatever. Oh, my neighbor's dog. I hope he shuts the fuck up so I can continue talking about murder. You know what? Elevator music. I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. Now, to you, this is only a few, a few moments, you know, but for me, it was like an hour and a half of waiting for this dog to shut up. So let's, let's get back to it. We were, we were talking about a, a, a serial killer, right? Uh, okay. Okay. Let, let's get back there. <laughs> now, although I, I do think that it's safe to say that the experiences that we have as children, it can mold, it can help mold you into uh, the person that you become as an adult. And as a child, honestly, if, if you don't have someone in your life to nurture you, to show you affection, to teach you the differences between right and wrong, to pretty much be a living example, what it's like to be a good person, you know, without those, without those examples growing up, it's no wonder that some people turn out the way that they do as adults. Now, I'm, I know that I sound super hypocritical right now, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's not black and white. You know, there's some gray areas in this psychology shit. You know what I mean? But not everyone that had a shitty childhood becomes a serial killer. It's, it's, it's really a crapshoot. You just really don't truly know anyone. So I hope you guys enjoy uh, living life from now on, never knowing that the person in front of you is a serial killer or not. Okay, moving on. Um, Paul was able to get away from his family when he moved to St. Paul in the, in the uh, 60s. Now, he worked a lot of odd jobs to make ends meet, and he even later married and had a child. Now, he somehow managed to find himself a pretty, pretty good life after all. You know, all the shit that he had, that he'd been through in his childhood, it's pretty interesting that he was able to do that. But that happy lifestyle would not last long, as he and his wife were soon divorced, and he, had, he no longer had any contact uh, with his child. Now, he was soon fired from his job at a manufacturing plant in, in 1977, and he was definitely going through it. He'd lost his family and his job, and these things can be triggering things for a lot of people. Now, he tried, for, he tried for several years to get his shit together, you know, was able to find another job and even started dating a new woman. But that relationship ended when she ended moving back to her home country of Syria. But she didn't just go back to Syria just because she missed home. She returned home for, for an arranged marriage. Now, this is a common practice in a lot of cultures. And I'll be honest with you, it is one that I don't understand. Forcing anyone to marry someone just seems crazy to me. But, you know, I'm an ignorant American. So there are a lot of things I don't fucking understand or agree with. <laughs> but anyways, of course, uh, this enraged Paul because he clearly... Uh, he really cared about his girlfriend. He did. And after everything that he had already previously lost, I can imagine that this was very difficult for him, but uh, he's still a bitch baby. That's, he's still a bitch baby. We're not going to change that. He was beyond livid that he had 
lost yet another woman who claimed to care for him. He felt betrayed and those feelings of betrayal turned into something much darker. Ever wonder what terrible thing happened on this day in true crime history? My name is Karina B. Mesterfer, writer and host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast that dives into what murder took place on today's date in history. With over 500 episodes about serial killers, murderers, cults, and cold cases, there is always something new for you to enjoy. Morning Cup of Murder is the perfect addition to your morning routine. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, start your day with a morning cup of murder. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen, and come say hi on social media at Morning Cup of Murder. Oh, and remember, stay safe. Clearly, Paul most likely associated his bad luck and shitty life with women. And I think you may come to understand that as we discuss his victims. Now, his first wife left him. He no longer sees his daughter. He can't hold down a job. Perhaps he blamed women for all of his shortcomings in life. In 1980, on New Year's Eve, 20-year-old Karen Potak, who was a student at the University of Stevens Point in Wisconsin, came home to Twin Cities to celebrate the holiday with her sisters and some friends. Now, she got into an argument at the nightclub that they were celebrating the new year. She abruptly left without telling anyone in anger. It is said that she was so under the influence that she left without her jacket and still had a glass of champagne in her hand as she left. Now, she was seen leaving alone a little after 1 a.m. in a red dress. Now, I have never been to Minnesota before in my entire life, but something tells me December is cold as fuck there and leaving without a jacket is probably not the best decision, I have to say. <laughs> so anyways, Karen was walking down an alleyway when Paul spotted her, which is something else you don't want to do. Now, I'm not big victim blaming or anything like that. I'm just saying as a true crime addict, you would never, never, never see me walking down a dark alley alone at night for any reason. I'm just saying. Now, Paul, he was spending the holiday alone and probably feeling sorry for himself driving around town when he spotted Karen walking alone in the cold with no jacket, vulnerable. It's like a dark switch flipped in his head and Karen never saw it coming. Now, I'm also not certain how she managed to find the only alleyway with no one there as it was New Year's and many people were probably all over the street celebrating. Paul pulls over and asks if she wants a ride. And of course, Karen being inebriated, not to mention cold because she left without her jacket, she got into his car with no concerns for her safety. Now, Paul and Karen began to drive around a bit and he pulled over to retrieve his tire iron from the car and demanded she get out. Of course, she was terrified and refused to do so. And Paul lost it, leaned into the car and beat her with the tire iron. She was beaten so severely that her skull was cracked open and her brain was exposed. Paul left her there completely naked and very badly beaten. Around 3 a.m., he called the police department, and this is what he said. Yes, please, this is an emergency. Please send a squad to Pierce Butler Road, Malmberg Manufacturing Company, Machine Shop. Please, there's an ambulance, too. There's a girl hurt there. Can you tell me what happened to her? There's hurry. There's, she's laying on the ground in the back by the, by the railroad tracks, by the engine. Hurry. What's the address? I don't know. Who are you? So that baby bitch decided to call 911 to confess, but hung up when the 911 operator asked who he was. Maybe in his mind, that confession was enough to absolve him of his sins and allow him to continue committing others. Or maybe 
he actually felt bad for what he did. I honestly don't know. But the one thing that certainly shocked me was Karen survived that attack. She was rushed to the hospital after police found her completely naked while it was snowing, mind you. I'm not a doctor, but perhaps it being so cold out there is probably what helped save her life. Maybe it slowed down the bleeding and the swelling. I'm not sure. Now, no one had actually seen what happened because of the traumatic brain injury that Karen had sustained. So she couldn't remember anything that happened that night. Now, police had nothing to go on, and that left their investigation to turn into a cold case. Now, that bitch baby was on the edge because he was pretty much waiting for police to come to his door at any time. But they never did. And uh, perhaps he took this as a sign that it was safe to give in to his darker side again. And six months later, he did just that. June 3rd, 1981, he struck again. 18-year-old high school graduate Kimberly Compton was also wearing red when Paul saw her. Now, I'm not sure if red has anything to do with who he chooses to attack, but it certainly is a little strange that the second woman he attacked was also wearing red. It's something to think about. So she had just graduated from high school and just recently moved to St. Paul from Wisconsin. She literally just got into town from the bus station. She put her belongings in one of the, in one of the lockers there and was hungry. Kimberly noticed a diner across the street called Mickey's. Now, Paul noticed that she was eating alone as she was only just a few tables down from him. He decided to walk over and join her. Now, they chatted for a while, and once that he saw that she was comfortable with him, he offered to show her around the city. He even suggested that they uh, go, go, go to the river for a walk and check out the amazing view. She agreed and left with him. Now, they made it to the river, and Paul parked his car. He told Kimberly that she should get out of the car and take in the amazing view. While she did that, he went to the trunk of his car to retrieve an ice pick. Which, let me ask, why the fuck did he have an ice pick in the trunk of his car? That, that just screams, I, I kill people for a living, friend. I, I, I have ice picks just lying around just whenever I need to murder. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, they sat in the grass watching the river and without warning, he stabbed Kimberly with the ice pick. She was stabbed 61 times and then strangled with her own shoelaces. Paul contacted the police again with that creepy, high-pitched, blubbering bitch baby sound, asking them to stop him from killing. I'll, I'll play the audio in just a moment. But in this particular message, he didn't tell police where the body was, not to mention uh, because of his voice, they probably most likely thought it was a prank. And at this time, they hadn't connected the attempted murder of Karen with the murder of Kimberly. But you'll never guess what he did next. This motherfucker called the police again. Yep, he called the police again two days later. And get this, he actually called to apologize uh, for stabbing Kimberly Compton and that uh, he, he would turn himself in. But of course, that baby bitch didn't turn himself in. This, then this son of a bitch called again on June 6th for a third time to say that the newspaper, uh, they, were in, they were inaccurate with, about his murders. Like, you, you got this part wrong. <laughs> what the entire fuck? I can't... <sighs> See, that right there is what makes me think that he's not actually sorry for the things that he did, the, the crying and the, and the, and the blubbering, in my opinion, was probably just a way to mask his voice. I don't know. Or, or maybe he's just a bitch baby. Like I said, I don't know. I'm not the dude's therapist. Okay. There was, there was another call <laughs> again, <laughs> literally another, just a few days later on June 11th, eight days after the murder. And he cried apologizing for what he did to Kimberly. So he's just, He's just calling them all willy-nilly. I'm sorry I killed everybody. I just, I keep killing. I'm going to kill myself. I don't want to go to jail. Like, that's, the, that's what he sounds like. Legit. <laughs> Later on, three teenagers, they come across Kimberly's body. 
The police were called, and I got to be honest, I cannot imagine finding a dead body as an adult, let alone a teenager. Holy shit. That must have been horrifying as fuck. Now this, this is that bitch baby himself. The police really didn't have a lot to go on regarding this case, but they were able to find out who Kimberly was, which was not an easy task because she did just move to St. Paul and didn't really know anyone there. When they found her body, they found a key that went to a locker at the bus station she arrived. Now it had been, it had had her belongings inside of it, and that is how they were able to discover who she was. And at autopsy, they were able to see what her last meal was, which was beef and fries. It was so fresh that you could still see the teeth marks in the food they found in her stomach. Now, apparently, Mickey's Diner was quite popular, and their special of the day at that time was barbecue beef, fries, and a pickle. Police entered the diner and asked if anyone recognized a photo of Kimberly, and the staff said they did. They even saw her leave with the man after her meal. Police didn't have much to go on. After all, this was the 80s, so the diner didn't have any security cameras or anything like that to help them identify the man that the diner staff saw with Kimberly. It was a good chance that this case would go cold as well. And that's when that bitch baby called the police again. He told them not to talk, and to listen. Don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry what I did to Compton. I couldn't help it. Don't know why I had to stab her. I am so upset about it. I keep getting drunk every day and I can't believe I think it's a big dream. I can't think of being locked up. If I get locked up, I'll kill myself. I'd Police were able to trace the call to a bus depot, but of course, by the time the police got there, he was gone. Now, that also may show that perhaps maybe he didn't feel as bad as he claimed he did. I mean, this guy said he would rather kill himself than go to prison. You know, he never leaves his name or just turns himself in. Maybe he just wanted attention. I honestly don't know. But how badly does he, how badly could he, could he possibly feel? You know what I mean? But then again, I'm a sane person trying to understand someone who is insane, which is insane. <laughs> Anyways, police were catching on that, that the same man could be responsible for committing these crimes. Even though each crime involved a different weapon, they had an idea that it might be the same guy. Now, the first weapon was a tire iron and the second was an ice pick. But both crimes involve the same baby bitch weeping voice phone calls. Now, this means that they could be dealing with a serial killer if they're right. Now, the police decided to take matters into their own hands and release a part of the phone calls that they received to the public so the public could hear his voice and hopefully someone would be able to audibly identify him. They did whatever they could to track him down. A lot of people did claim that they recognized the voice, but they, get, they couldn't get enough evidence to say, yeah, this is the guy. Unfortunately, his third victim was 33-year-old Kathleen Greening. Now, she was packing up her car for a trip July 21, 1982. He watched her as she packed up and followed her into her apartment. Now, she had no clue that Paul had entered her apartment while she was getting ready for a bath. He came in behind her shoving her into the tub of water and she and held her there until she stopped moving. She was found dead in her home just outside of St. Paul. Now, he didn't call the police to confess this murder because he didn't call. The police had no reason to suspect the same man was responsible for her murder. This particular murder was very different from the last two crimes. Two stabbings versus one drowning Police didn't connect the dots at the time. Now, a couple of weeks later, after the murder of Kathleen, 40-year-old Barbara Simmons became the fourth and final murder victim of the weepy-voiced killer. 
Like the other three victims, she was also wearing red clothing. Now, perhaps the color red on women triggered him into, into a murderous state. I really don't know. The two of them met at the Hexagon Bar. Now, Paul, bomb, he pretty much, he, he borrowed a cigarette from Barbara, you know, and the two of them enjoyed each other's company at the bar. You know, they talked for a little bit and had a good time. Now, towards the end of the night, Paul offered her a ride home. Before she, before she left, she jokingly said to the waitress, He's cute. I hope he's nice since he's giving me a ride home. Now, he drove her home. He, he drove her to the Mississippi River instead, excuse me. And uh, he did stab Barbara over 100 times. He hit her body near the river and got rid of the murder weapon. Now, the next morning, a paper boy found the body and called the police. Two days later, that baby bitch contacted police again. He apologized for murdering the girl by stabbing her. He even mentioned Kimberly Compton, his first murder by name, apologizing for her. Now, luckily, the bartender at the Hexagon Bar was able to describe the man that Barbara left with. The police did the, the only thing they really could do at this time go through all the mugshots that they had, over a hundred of them, looking for someone who fit the description that the bartender gave them. And the bartender was able to point someone out. The police were able to show the bar staff the photo and uh, boom, there they go. That baby bitch, 37-year-old Paul Stefani was pointed out. Now on August 21st, I realize how repetitive that was, let me alone. On August 21st, 1982, two weeks after Barbara Simmons' murder, a 19-year-old... Player emergency. Please don't talk to this person. I'm sorry, I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one. Oh, my chief. Sorry. I don't know what's the matter me. I'm sick. I'm going to kill myself, I think. Where are you? I'm just going to... On August 21st, 1982, two weeks after Barbara Simon's murder, 19-year-old sex worker Denise Williams was the final victim in a span of two years. Police had already suspected Paul was responsible for these attacks thanks to the staff at the Hexagon Bar. Now, police even had a surveillance team watching Paul, but unfortunately, they lost him during their surveillance. Paul drove around town a little after midnight when he came across Denise Williams in the red light district. And if you're not familiar with that particular term, red light district usually means there is some sex workers nearby waiting to earn some money. That's what that means. Now, you wouldn't believe what caught his attention when he saw Denise. And if you guess she was wearing red, then you're absolutely correct. Can you imagine living in the same town as a serial killer who is clearly a part of, of the Crips? Because anytime he sees blood's colors, he loses his mind and just starts murdering. Obviously, I'm kidding. I don't know uh, anything about the bloods in the Crips other than their colors. And that they hate each other. That's all I know. <laughs> now, Paul pulled over when he saw Denise and offered her $100 for her services. Now, I, I've never been a lady of the night, so if any of you have any idea what $100 can get you with the lady of the night, uh, tweet me on Twitter at It's Professionally Silly. I feel, I feel like in the 80s, that was probably a lot of money. Uh, I feel like $100 today might get you a blow job, might get you a blow job or a hand, I, I don't know, I digress. Anywho, Denise agrees to get into his car. He takes her back to his home where they have sex. After the sex, did that sound weird to you? After the sex. Anyway, after they bumped uglies, which didn't last long, might I add, Paul offered her a ride back to her office, you know, or place of business. I was trying to make it sound more professional, but he was going to take her back to her street corner. I don't, I don't know. Um, they got, they got in the car and after a while, Denise noticed that Paul was going in the wrong direction. He told her that it was a shortcut, but she knew that he was full of shit. She had an idea. Now, Denise being a woman of the night 
can usually sense if one of her Johns is acting strangely or she might be in some sort of danger. I can only imagine uh, if, if that is the profession that you're working, you may tend to notice people when they're off, you know, when they seem a little off or, or may want to cause you some harm. Now, it's no secret that a lot of serial killers and murderers alike uh, tend to, to go after sex workers because they believe that no one will actually miss them or know that they're even missing, which, you know, is honestly complete bullshit. Uh, because if uh, I, I think honestly, you just don't know anyone's story. Don't assume that they don't have love or someone that cares about them just because they're out there. You know what I mean? They could be someone's mother, sister, auntie, neighbor, best friend. It's a mistake to assume that no one loves these women. You know, as my girls from uh, from whining crime say and, 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 and scream angrily very often, fucking patriarchy. <laughs> okay. A sex worker's life is just as important as anyone else's. We don't know their story. And if you snuff them out, they don't get a chance to go to the next chapter. I had to go off for a second, but let's, let's go ahead and get back to that bitch baby. Okay. So of course, as a sex worker, Denise started to, to see some signs that made her aware that this man may not be as kind hearted, uh, as he appeared Paul is, is, uh, is taking side streets and, uh, residential in residential areas instead of driving on the highway. Now, Denise has actually been, unfortunately, a sex worker since she was the age of 13, which is very young and, and very sad. Once again, I don't really know, uh, her story. Now she knew her way around the area and uh, knew something was up. Denise got an uneasy feeling, so she looked around the car for something that she could use as a weapon if she needed to. While Paul was talking to her, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, while Paul was talking to her, uh, she noticed a glass bottle on the floor. Now she kept it in mind just in case she needed to use it as a weapon. Now soon that bitch baby pulled over to the to an empty parking lot and demanded that Denise pay him for the ride. Now, she tried to get out of the car, but Paul was was able to pull her back inside. He grabbed a screwdriver that he had in the car and started stabbing her in the stomach. Denise reached for the glass bottle that she saw earlier and struck Paul in the head and then began began to start slicing at him with the broken bottle. His cheek was cut and he was bleeding pretty badly from his head. Paul screamed and continued to attack her. And in the struggle, the passenger door opened and they both fell into the street. Denise was screaming at the top of her lungs, hoping that someone would hear her as Paul tried his best to subdue her. Luckily for her, a man, Douglas, that lived nearby, heard her screams and went to help. Douglas just happened to be asleep with his window open in the neighborhood Paul decided to attack Denise. He heard everything and decided to help which let me say kudos to that dude okay because a lot of people would not have reacted the same way that he did you know a lot of people would have pretended not to hear that uh, some would have had this, the bystander effect just idly standing by assuming that someone else is going to to help someone else is going to call 911 but if everybody has that mindset no one does anything and people lose their lives now later uh, Paul, Paul shares with the police that he could hear the, not Paul, excuse me, uh, Douglas shares with the police that he could hear the sound of the stabbings happening, that the screwdriver going through, through flesh and, 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 and piercing bone, you know, he, uh, can you, uh, can you imagine witnessing that and hearing all that and seeing all that? It's just, it's a lot. And blood has a smell too, so I can only imagine the entire scene was just overwhelming. Now he sees Paul on top of Denise stabbing her and, and he yells for him to leave the girl alone. Now he reaches for Paul's arm trying to pull him away from her. Now Paul, who is covered in blood at this, at this point, Denise's blood, his own blood, and he swings around now trying to attack this man Douglas. Unfortunately, Douglas now realizes he is now in danger, you know, because Paul is stabbing at him with the screwdriver, but luckily he misses. 
Douglas runs back to his house to retrieve a gun and to call 911. Okay, so uh, unfortunately, Denise's head, uh, neck, face, and chest all had stab wounds. He even punctured one of her lungs and her liver. Now, he did all of this with a screwdriver, which I can only imagine takes a lot of force, power, anger, strength, because screwdrivers are not meant to be used that way. So that bitch baby now realizes it's pretty much two against one, and it's only a matter of time until police arrive. He's covered in blood, he's injured, and, and, and when Douglas runs away, he knows the police going to be here any minute. So he gets into his car and he speeds off, leaving Denise bleeding in the street after stabbing her 15 times. returns home covered in blood and realizing he's very badly injured. So he does the one thing that he does best. He calls the police. (laughs) Well, he called the ambulance. And I suppose he did not want to suffer the same fate that he gave his victims, bleeding to death. He told the dispatcher that he was beaten up and needed an ambulance right away. Oh yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. You 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 got beat up. You're damn right you did. <laughs> and don't nobody feel bad for you. <laughs> Do any of you feel bad for him? I don't. (laughs) Little did Paul know that the dispatch team was already brought up to speed on the weepy voice killer. Okay. Now this was, this was the phone call that would lead investigators right to him. So that bitch baby is transported to the hospital and it doesn't take long for police to match up his injuries with a woman who was already there. What? Yeah. So luckily doctors, uh, luckily doctors were able to give Denise emergency surgery and saved her life. Thank God. (sighs) So Denise told doctors and police about the man who attacked her and how she fought back with a glass bottle, hitting him in the head and the face. Police realized that Paul's injuries matched what Denise had told them. Now, Denise was asked to look over a hundred mugshots. I'm talking bunches of them. And just like when police showed the waitress and the bartender at the Hexagon Bar the mugshots, once again, Paul Michael Stefani, that bitch baby, was picked out of a lineup. Now, that bitch baby was arrested for the attempted murder of Denise. Now, police had to find a way to connect these other crimes to him. Now, inside of an interrogation room, Detective Brown got to work. He pretended to sympathize with Paul in order to get him to talk. Now, once he seemed comfortable, Paul was shown the weepy voice killer file, and he was even shown the photographs of the victims. At this point, Paul gave Detective Brown a look that can only be described as, damn, uh, you got me. (laughs) He then looked at uh, Detective Brown and said, you're not going to pin those on me. Ah. I don't think he whined it though. <laughs> when he was um when he was being shown these pictures, it was like another person was forming before Detective Brown's eyes. Paul's voice began to become very whiny, high-pitched and honestly super annoying, and he was transforming into the weepy voice killer right there in the interrogation room. Now, it was pretty obvious to the police that they they had their man but Paul refused to confess. Perhaps it was easier for him to do so over the phone because no one knew who he was at that time. Now, now that he's sitting inside an interrogation room, perhaps shit just got real for him. I I don't know. Now, remember earlier, uh, 
one of the phone calls that he made to the police, he said he would rather die than go to prison. And at this moment, prison seemed to be right around the corner. So police had to find ways to connect him to these crimes. They interviewed the people in his life, including a woman who lived with him, his sister, and his ex-wife. Both, actually all of these women said that the voice recorded that uh, during these 911 calls was indeed that bitch baby, Paul. And <laughs> I just love it, that bitch baby. And uh, they were all willing to testify against him, all of them. Now that kind of shows you the kind of uh, person he most likely was. Even his own sister believed that he was responsible for these crimes, just based on the sound of his voice. Like it's, yeah, that's him. He did it, <laughs> you know? Now, unfortunately, police did not have any physical evidence uh, proving that he was responsible for these attempt, for the attempted murder of Karen Potak and the murder of Kimberly Compton. Now, a couple, because even when you when you confess to murders, uh, you know, like he did in the 911 calls or, or in general, uh, the police have to be able to prove that what you're confessing actually happened, because that is how a lot of people end up going to jail or going to prison you know, for false confessions, which happens a lot, believe it or not. So if they cannot find any evidence that goes along with your confession, there's a good chance that uh, that person is not going to go to jail or be charged. That's what they say. So a couple of, um, a couple of his murders did happen in two different jurisdictions and they could only charge him for the crimes that happened in their jurisdiction. Now, remember St. Paul and Minneapolis are actually two different cities, even though they're considered the twin cities, but they, they could charge him for the murder of Barbara Simmons and the attempted murder of Denise Williams. But what Paul didn't know was there were eyewitnesses to these attacks and they provided their testimony in court. Now, vocal experts were brought in uh, to use their expertise to see if the high-pitched crying phone calls the police uh, the police heard were the were the same uh, the, were the same voice coming from the person who called 911 asking for medical help when he got you know cut up by Denise with a, with a glass bottle. Now the experts said that it sounded very similar, but they could not definitively say, "Yeah, that's the guy." You know what I'm saying? So during the trial, Paul's ex-wife, sister, and the woman who used to live with him all testified that it was indeed Paul's voice on all the recordings that were shared in court. Now, while listening to the voice in court, his sister emotionally removed her headphones and began crying with her head in her hands and said it was indeed her brother Paul. Now, of course, that bitch baby pled not guilty to his charges because ultimately in in April, uh, but ultimately in April 1985, he was found guilty and sentenced to 40 years in prison. Now, in December of 1997, after about 10 years of being in prison, Paul was diagnosed with skin cancer. It, It just seems to me like pretty much all the bad murderers, like the really bad ones, the serial killers, like the, the, the child predators, like the ones who end up, who, who end up uh, being sentenced to prison for a long ass time, whether it's life or whatever, or death, what, what have you, uh, they fucking die of cancer all the time. It just seems to be like, I don't know, it, it always happens. It always happens. Now, doctor gave Paul less than a year to live, which let me be honest, I hope it hurt. I hope it hurts bad. I really do. Not to mention, it probably saved uh, the citizens some tax dollars when he died. So, um, win-win. Win-win. So, because he, because Paul knew that he was going to die, it seems that he may have reverted to his Catholic teachings on, confession, on confessing your sins. Uh, he decided now was the time to sit with St. Paul detectives and confess all the crimes he had committed. Now, this included the murder of Kimberly Compton, the attempted murder of Karen Potak, and even the drowning of Kathy Greening. Now, as I'm going through this right now, I'm realizing that most of his most of his uh, victims, their names started with a K, except for uh, except for Barbara and Denise. But I don't know, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I just realized that. Now, this was a murder that police had not connected to him because there were no weepy phone calls of confession uh, to, to to drowning. Kathy Greening. 
no one, you know, not to mention, there was just, there wasn't one. Not to mention, it was the only drowning he had done. Most of his victims had been stabbed or beaten. So, and, and, and he called to confess those, but for Kathy, he never said a word. Now that bitch baby, oh, I fucking hate him, claimed that he wanted to confess to give closure to the families, to close the cold cases. He said he wanted to apologize to the families, but in my opinion, he did this for himself because he probably, he probably believed that confessing the sins he committed, would he would be forgiven. And he would be able to enter heaven because you remember one of the phone calls he did not uh, that I, that you listened to. He said that he's I'm never gonna be able to get into heaven now. Uh, no, because you're a fucking murderer, bitch. Sorry, I got upset. So, you know, he even claimed that he felt extremely guilty and very confused about his crimes, and he didn't know why he did what he did. To him, it was something as simple as losing control. Now, he died June 12th, 1998, at the age of 53. May he rest in eternal discomfort. She got in my car and I gave her my driving tool. I said, he'll be out in a minute. I said, I had to clean some of the ice off the windshield. Do you remember where you hit her with the tire iron pump? I did. Did you hit her one time, two times? Yeah, it must have been about 30 times. But I mean, a good, good 20 times, I think, I know. Were you swinging it this way, or did you poke her with it? Or did you well, I, I don't think I poked her. No. I, I remember just hitting her mainly on the forehead, on the cheek, and the jaw, the mouth, and the top of the head. And I think it was only about ten times, but then I know she, she, she must really be hurting in that, you know, the steel bar like that. I was even hurt. When I went back to the car, oh, there's going like this. I mean, and that's what I mean, made me want to go to the phone. I mean, I really wanted to help her work it. My mind started clearing up. What are you doing? You had a chance to make another friend that kept yelling at myself. You, you like to make friends. And then that's when she started telling me where she was from in uh, Wisconsin and all. And I said, well, say, why don't you, uh, I'm not even thinking about hurting right now. I said, hey, why don't you want me to show you around town? I said, yeah, I want to show you something. There's really a nice view over here. I mean, you see the major river. I think I mentioned somebody who probably has something to tell your parents about then. Uh, as I walked out of the car, I carried my knife with me. I had every intention to hurt me. He lay down in the grass, and I remember opening up a bra and a uh, bra and everything. I'm just feeling the stuff. And he just starts stabbing me. Killing me. See, to me, the thing you were supposed to do, that was part of life. Driving the car was part of life. Eating food was part of life. To me, it seemed like killing was part of life. Until I did it, and then I drove away, and then I looked like the one on Pierce by the road. What are you doing? And then I... I just couldn't turn myself in. That's why I kept getting on the phone. Will you catch me and stop me or catch me or something like that? Or... You say that you both got into the tub? Yes. And you sh- you're positive about that? Yes. Because, I mean, when I, I remember when I pushed her head underwater, I could see her face. Did you push her in by her, push her head down, or did you push her in the chest area to, under the water? I held her shoulders down. You held her shoulders down? Both hands then? Why do you think he killed or even confessed? Do you think it was because of, uh, because each of these women were wearing red? Is it, is, is that why they, why he killed them? Do you think that he honestly felt guilty about the murders and crimes he committed? Do you even think that his weepy voice was real? Or do you think it was just a way to distort his voice when he was calling the police? Do you believe when he, when he confessed, it was his last time to shine before he died. There are a lot of questions involved in this case, and unfortunately, there are not many answers. But maybe he just wanted to feel important for one last time. I, I honestly have no idea. And he did not share those reasons before he died. Let me know what you think on the Professionally Silly podcast Twitter page at It's Pro Silly. If there's anything that you can take from this podcast episode, it's be aware of your surroundings. Also, uh, maybe don't go down dark alleys at night by yourself while you're drunk and alone. Um, yeah, just throwing that out there. Also, uh, serial killers are assholes. Plain and simple. That's just how I feel. Professionally silly life rules. They're they're assholes. (laughs) I certainly hope that you guys enjoyed this episode of That Bitch Baby. Uh, it was, (laughs) it was a lot of fun. Uh, and also kind of creepy too. 
Be sure to email me at itsprofessionallysilly at gmail.com. If you have any stories that you want to share with me and the Pro Silly listeners, send them in because I want to do some some, uh, listener episodes in the future with just your awesome stories. It can literally be about anything you want. And chances are it will make the podcast because <laughs> I do discuss a lot of amazing topics here. Secrets, embarrassing moments, creepy home alone stories, confessions, uh, paranormal shit, or what have you. Maybe you just want to, you want to email me and say, what's up? I feel your voice. I like your energy. How you doing? <laughs> what's your favorite candy bar? I don't know. Email me and make sure that you're anonymous in case you, in case you want to be anonymous. Let me know in the email. But hit me up. It's professionally silly at gmail.com. All right. Or you can just go ahead and call me through the Anchor app or my Google Voice number, 805 664 1828. Once again, 805 664 1828. Leave me a voice message or a text and I'll put you on the podcast. You know, I'm Shan, unless you say otherwise. Unless you say, I, I, I want to be on here. I, I just want to say, what's up? Don't put me on there. <laughs> I've also got a P.O. Box too, so snail mail me, P.O. Box 29892, Los Angeles, California, 90029. Now, I um, I searched through several sites for research for this episode. You know what I'm saying? So shout out to Murderpedia.com, CriminalMinds.Fandom.com, of course, Wikipedia.com, the Eleanor Neal YouTube channel, Cryptic YouTube channel, and the podcast network's The Serial Killers Podcast. Research took a lot of work. <laughs> Fact checking like a mad woman I was. Yes, I was. <laughs> Shout out to all the pro silly listeners. Uh, you know, you, you keep me coming back. You keep me coming back. You know what I'm saying? So I, I take it you like me just a little bit at the very least, right? Yeah. Join me every Friday as we get professionally silly. Now, don't don't forget to show support to your girl by leaving reviews on whichever podcast directory that you're using. Uh, it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty way. It's pretty much the only way I can grow. You know what I'm saying? It's the only way for my podcast to grow. So hook a sister up with some reviews and a five star review, especially if it's on Apple Podcasts, because them them motherfuckers will put me on a chart. I'll be like, ah, 100 uh, top 100 greatest podcast on earth. I want to be on that chart. I don't know if that's a list. If it's not, I should be there and I should be number one. I'm a little biased, but I, I feel how I feel. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's time for the PSC uh, podcast shout out corner. Uh, this week, we're going to go ahead and shout out one of my favorite true crime podcasts ever. And it's called the I Said Goddamn Podcast. They they are literally my favorite true crime podcast ever created. Listen, don't tell the gals at Wine and Crime that I said that. Okay, Aaron and Stacy, that's our secret. They don't need to know that. <laughs> the I Said Goddamn Podcast is a true crime podcast where they implement a little comedy behind the murders they speak about. Now, it's it's hosted by two besties, Stacy and Aaron, whose voices, let's be honest, sound exactly alike, but it doesn't change the awesome of their podcast. I love it. So listen every Sunday where they try to one up each other with the craziest true crime mystery stories that, that, that would make the world say, God damn. So, <laughs> oh man, I tend to tap into their energy when I record my true crime episodes, them. And of course my uh, my spirit animal, Amanda from the wine and crime podcast. Love them. Love her. So be sure to subscribe, subscribe to the, I said, goddamn podcast available everywhere. The podcast are, and let them know that the professionally silly podcast sent you. As a matter of fact, make sure you let every podcast I ever shouted out on here, let them know that we exist and we love them. Okay. Okay. If you are digging the professionally silly podcast, you can now support my silly content by making monthly donations. Yeah, this is this will be very helpful for making the professionally silly podcast even better and help grow and move the silly forward. You can now make monthly contributions. You can donate as low as 99 cents a month, $4.99 or 9.99 a month right here on the Anchor app. And if you have any commitment issues or you don't have the Anchor app, 
there's always PayPal. There's always a way to hand me your money. Uh, <laughs> www.paypal.me slash Amber Smiles Jones. Let's keep the silly flowing. Make sure you guys go ahead and check out the show notes for some bonus information like my social media stuff. I got TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I got stereo, two YouTube channels. I- I- I'm all over it, bruh. I'm, I'm all over it, friend. <laughs> I'm all over it. Oh, and um, like I said, stereo. I just downloaded stereo recently. If you want to join in on pretty much a live podcast, that's pretty much what it is. You can go ahead and follow me at True Smiles Jones on stereo, T-R-U, the word smiles, and then, of course, the last name Jones. You can find me on there. Join in on the live fun, and you can verbally verbally share your 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 ideas and your thoughts you know what i'm saying uh, on the stereo app you know during uh during live stereo radio shows it's it's a lot of fucking fun i love it love it love it don't forget that this podcast is on instagram and twitter at it's pro silly tweet me and share your opinions on my older and or newer episodes once again I'm your audible boo thing, Amber Smiles Jones. Thank you so much for listening to the Professionally Silly Station here on Anchor FM, where I take my silliness seriously. Until next time, my loves, watch where you step, because there are pieces of shit everywhere. And uh, it seems that we may have gotten rid of uh, one of the orangest pieces of shit I've ever seen. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy your your Biden-Harris week. (laughs) Oh, man. See you next Friday.